Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you, and we praise you for the waters of baptism, and we praise you for uh, life that we get to experience um, in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, this morning um, that you would bless us with that experience through the power of your Holy Spirit. Make our baptisms, make our walk with you and our life with you more tangible and more noticeable and more real this morning as we look at this gospel text of Zacchaeus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good to see you all this morning. Um, As Kurt mentioned earlier, we are wrapping up our Kingdom Urgency series. And um, the last year, I've really enjoyed preaching through the Book of Romans and then dealing with these Kingdom of God sayings and snapshots and parables and things that we get to see in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the main things we started off this summer is, is making a case that the Kingdom of God is actually a real thing. Um, This is something that we can observe. This is something that we can uh, put our finger on and notice God doing things to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer. And then we've also tried to make a case that this is something that is urgent for everybody who says, I'm a follower of Jesus. This isn't something that we should think about later or put off, but that God has things for us to do as citizens in his kingdom today and tomorrow and the next day. And we don't look at it like a a list of rules we have to follow. We look at it like this gift that God has placed in front of us. And we hopefully have become to realize more that opening that gift and participating in what God is doing in this world leads to a much fuller, more satisfying life in Jesus Christ than if we don't open that gift and if we don't participate in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom is real, and there's an urgency to it. Um, for many different reasons that we've talked about this summer. And today we get to pick up um, this story with Zacchaeus, which many of us learned in Sunday school many, many years ago. Chapter 18, before we get to this text in Luke, ends with the story of Jesus healing this blind beggar outside of the city of Jericho. Right before that, Jesus is talking about his death that's coming up on the cross, He turns away this rich young ruler who goes away sad because Jesus actually asked him to give up his richness, his wealth. And before that, we see Jesus encouraging the children to come to him, just like what we saw this morning in baptism. So when we get into chapter 19, we get into this Zacchaeus story. And and what, what do we describe? How do we describe Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. Yes, a wee little man, right? But not like many wee little guys of his time, he was actually rich. And he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, meaning he had some status, right? Like he had people under him probably collecting taxes as well. The city of Jericho was, uh, you know, a common crossroads for places and it was a place where tax collectors stood up to do their business because a lot of people passed through there. And a spoiler alert, if I were to give one for this sermon, and you'd never heard this story before, would be, um, once again, Jesus isn't just bringing the kingdom in a way that the Pharisees wanted him to, in the way that the religious people of the time wanted him to. And often in our lives, maybe he's not bringing the kingdom in the places we would want him to bring the kingdom either. This guy's a tax collector. He is rich, but he's despised. He doesn't have too many friends. Zacchaeus is an agent of the Roman Empire. He might not be a beggar, who we have maybe some compassion for. He might not be a religious Jew who's trying to follow God's law and God's ways. And he's not the innocent child that Jesus wants to come sit on his lap and bless. 
What do all these people, though, have in common with Zacchaeus? You know, we want to see Jesus heal a beggar. We want to see a miracle like that, right? And some of us might be okay with the rich young ruler wandering off in his sadness because we want people to be convicted about where our treasure really lies. It's not in our stuff and in our wealth and in our status. It's in heaven. But the tax collector? we got to draw a line somewhere, right? Now, I grew up in a house. I don't ever remember my dad saying something nice about the IRS. Many, many of you maybe had the same experience. Tax season was a lament, you know, in our household. It was just money that we earned that we couldn't keep, right? And many people share that view of taxes today. But what do all these people have in common with the tax collector? All of them need Jesus. The children, the beggar, the rich young ruler, and the tax collector. They all need Jesus to meet them in the truth and in the real messiness of their lives, whether they're living a life for God or not. The kingdom of God isn't always about breaking into the lives of people we think should be saved or blessed. Jesus is seeking out the tax collector, the IRS agent. He's seeking out the neighbor who blares music at midnight or the people who spin their tires at the intersection out here when my kids are in bed. He's seeking out the grumpy fast food worker and the politician. He's seeking out the grumpy person on your Facebook feed who has nothing good to say ever. He's even seeking out the Nebraska Cornhuskers fan. (laughs) Sorry, if if that's you, Jesus loves you. That's the point. (laughs) And today we get this great reminder, right? The heart of Jesus, the kingdom of God, isn't just about us. And it's not just about the people that we like and get along with. It's so much bigger, so much bigger. So let's pick up in our Luke text this morning, uh, talking about Jesus walking into Jericho. So he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. So Jesus heals the blind beggar, now he's coming into Jericho, and there's people There's crowds waiting for him to pass. And again, Zacchaeus isn't any old tax collector. He's not just scraping by. He's rich. He's made a living taking money from people, uh, often unethically, probably, as we see unfold in the story later. And this is a guy with not too many friends. Yet here he is. He's not running away from the righteous guy. He's not running away from the teacher. He wants to see Jesus. He has this strong desire but he's too short, so he needs to get a better vantage point. Why is Zacchaeus seeking out Jesus? We're not sure. Maybe he's heard a lot about Jesus already. Maybe the stories, the healings, maybe what just happened outside of town, maybe that news has already reached him. Whatever the case is, I think Zacchaeus has this craving for the kingdom of God. He has this craving, whether the Holy Spirit put him there or or what, He has this craving to experience and see Jesus. Not some other rabbi or teacher, it's Jesus. Perhaps there's something in our own lives there to examine too. Are we willing to climb a tree just to get a glimpse of what God is doing in this world around us? So Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, 
for I must, I must stay at your house today. So we hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So Zacchaeus goes to get a better view, and something odd happens. Jesus stops. And he looks up and he addresses Zacchaeus by name. We already know that Zacchaeus was seeking out Jesus to see what he was about. So they probably hadn't met. Here in the story, we learn Jesus was actually seeking out Zacchaeus. It wasn't just Zacchaeus seeking out Jesus. Jesus calls him by name, and just like that, the story changes. This is something divine. This is a moment when the kingdom of God is breaking through. And this in and of itself is a miracle, right? Jesus hadn't met this guy, yet he stops at that tree and knows his name. Jesus knew that his host for that day in Jericho wasn't in that tree or that tree or that tree, but it was in this one. And he knew his name, and he knew Zacchaeus' heart. There's the power of the kingdom of God to break through. And Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house and is received joyfully. Two questions we can ask here. Why is Zacchaeus joyful? Uh, some scholars think he maybe was already a believer, like somehow he had heard the news of Jesus and already had some sort of faith in him. Maybe that's the case. We don't know for sure. But maybe Zacchaeus was joyful that this person who he was desperately seeking out was also seeking him. There was a confirmation of whatever desire God had placed on his heart. God was taking care of the other side of things. And he realizes that it's an honor to spend time with Jesus. It's an honor to be in the presence of Jesus in his life and in his home. And then the other question we can ask here is, why go to Zacchaeus' house? What's the value in that? You can do street ministry, right? You don't have to get into somebody's mess to talk to them about Jesus. Well, we see that modeled a lot in the New Testament, and Jesus actually instructs his disciples to go out and stay with people and to stay where the blessing is received, where their presence is received. And Jesus is kind of modeling that for them here too, right? Jesus sets that example. It's not about going out to be with people and retreating. That's not always what the kingdom of God is like, and that wasn't what it was like for Jesus, was it? Although he did his fair amount of retreat and rest and solitude and Sabbath. But it's getting to stay with somebody. It's getting to share a table with them and a meal. It's getting to know them. It's getting to know their household. I think the desire of Jesus here is we'll see evidenced in his words in a little bit. It's not just about Zacchaeus believing. It's about Zacchaeus' family, his offspring, maybe his grandkids if he had them, maybe his parents if he's living with elders. It's about a whole household. And it's about the power of one person who believes in a house to transform that household. So all of this is going on, and we have some grumblers, right? When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. A um, little bit of takeaway from this. We're always going to have some grumblers around us, right? Whether we're in the church or out of the church, somebody's going to grumble when God does something. And it's not always out of, you know, a desire to hurt, or it's not out of any sort of contempt sometimes. Sometimes it's just people don't understand how God is wanting to work in that moment or at that time. There's always going to be grumblers among those who don't see Jesus as he really is. That's a truth that we live in in our world and in our culture today. So the grumblers are going to be there, but that's okay. Because Jesus came 
to meet with Zacchaeus and his household. And Zacchaeus stood up here and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So now, apparently, we're at the household of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus demonstrates something powerful, right? Being in the presence of Jesus, spending time with Jesus, getting to know Jesus, this guy that he sought out, that was also seeking him out, getting this experience of Jesus calling him by name, even though they hadn't met before, and having this opportunity, Zacchaeus repents. He turns. He turns away from the former matter that made up his life. And he turns and he's transformed. What Zacchaeus says here to Jesus is a sign of a repentance that is taking place in his heart. He's not going to live for this stuff and this rich status anymore. And this isn't just about forgiveness, right? This isn't just about him receiving God's grace. This is about his life looking different because of his receiving of God's grace in a bid to repay and restore those who he's actually frauded and cheated and collected more than he should have from, which was a common practice then for tax collectors. Now, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. What happened between the sycamore tree and Zacchaeus just having this repentance welling up inside of him? What happened in that time? One thing that we can be sure of is this, is that meeting Jesus changes lives. Spending time with Jesus changes lives. It changed Zacchaeus' life in a short amount of time, and it can change your life too, and many of you have experienced that. And I hope that you will continue to experience that, or maybe even for the first time. Meeting Jesus changes lives. And Jesus goes on to proclaim that salvation has come. Now, it wasn't his professed work. It wasn't Zacchaeus promising to pay people back. That was the evidence of salvation. It was the repentance. And Jesus says, this isn't just to Zacchaeus. The salvation isn't just for this guy. It's actually to the whole house, as we talked about a minute ago. Jesus had a desire to see this whole house be transformed. And now because Jesus had spent time with Zacchaeus, now Zacchaeus' household was going to benefit from the same kingdom of God that Zacchaeus was experiencing. And he calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Now, Zacchaeus was a traitor to the Jews for working for the Roman Empire and stealing from them, right? He wasn't, he wasn't a friend. But Jesus is still restoring him into the household of Abraham, which for a religious Jew was important. That's how they viewed themselves, as sons and daughters of Abraham. So Jesus is restoring Zacchaeus to his heritage, to his faith in God. Salvation has truly come. And then Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is exactly what Jesus did in this story, right? He sought out Zacchaeus, someone who was lost, but was ready to experience the presence of Jesus and salvation. Jesus is saving the lost children of Abraham, and his love even goes beyond that, right? Any of us, we don't have to be a Jew, Jesus made that very clear, to be accepted into the family of God. And that's why we're here today, friends, because for 2,000 years, people have been living into this reality of Jesus' saving grace, restoring people to God's family. 
As our last sermon on the kingdom urgency, there's a couple good things that we can draw from this encounter with Zacchaeus. This one maybe is a little more practical than some of what we've talked about in this series in terms of us seeing ourselves living it out, right? Or, or in the place there or there in this story. So the first thing I think we can pull from this is this. Jesus knows where we are, just like Zacchaeus was in that tree, and he knows our names, and he knows our hearts. The king of this kingdom doesn't have nameless citizens. There is no nameless citizen in the kingdom of God that we're talking about here. You might feel insignificant to God. You might feel like you're not seen. You might feel so average or below average that you wonder why the king would want to have anything to do with you. But our King Jesus is not like other kings. And this is a kingdom that is not like other kingdoms. And in his kingdom, there are no insignificant people and there are no unimportant people. Period. God's kingdom is full of people that he laid his life down to save. So that's a big thing to take away this morning. Jesus knows where we are. He knows our names. He knows our hearts. The king of this kingdom does not have nameless citizens. The king knows everyone. And the king is in a perfect position to bring life and salvation to everyone in this kingdom. The second is this. Jesus desires to stay with us and dwell with us. The king of this kingdom doesn't stay in the palace. Isn't that the whole point of the gospel story and the Christmas birth that we'll celebrate here in a few months again? The king comes to dwell with his people. As John 1 states, he puts up a tent, moves into the neighborhood, right? Jesus does that. He moves into the neighborhood of our lives. So the king of this kingdom doesn't stay in the palace. He dwells with his people. He dwells in their houses. He dwells in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that true for your house? Is that true for your heart? Is your house a place where Jesus is spoken of, where your faith is lived out? Where this saving gospel is proclaimed and talked about? Zacchaeus' house turned into that house, and ours can too. Many in our culture welcome Jesus at church, but it's hard for us to welcome Jesus in our homes. Because that means that we're, we're doing something, right? Or we're, we're facilitating something that we might not be comfortable facilitating. But I think that can change. I think that our homes can be churches just like our churches are churches. And I think that our homes need to be a place, our households need to be a place where the king is king. And there's a lot of things that are kings of our lives. Maybe it's the screens or uh, maybe it's the school or the news or the government or the schedule or whatever it is that we show devotion and throw a lot of resources at in our lives. Those aren't bad things, but Jesus is the king and we should view Jesus as the king of all of those things. Let's not let other things be on the throne in our households. Zacchaeus was a traitor and a tax collector, and he was ready for this, and I think we can be ready for this too. So that's something I want you to reflect on this morning and into this week. Is your house a kingdom of God place? And then the third thing we can meditate on or take away this morning, um, and this I think is big in our culture as well. I've had some conversations about this in the last year. It's about the kingdom of God isn't just about individual salvation, right? 
We're a very individualistic culture. We all know that. Most of us know that we can't do it alone, so that's a healthy thing. But the kingdom of God is about whole families and whole households. Again, it wasn't just Zacchaeus that Jesus came to have a conversation with that day. It was Zacchaeus and his household. Your salvation is important to Jesus. Yes, it matters. But the kingdom doesn't stop there. There's more. Your salvation is personal and important, but it is not private, and it was never intended to be. So let the love that Jesus has shown you shine in and through you so that others may experience that love too. That's where this urgency piece of the kingdom of God comes in. That's where our role and our participation comes into this. Jesus is all about saving whole groups of people, not just one here and there, right? Households coming to faith, neighborhoods coming to faith in Jesus Christ, maybe workplaces, maybe schools, maybe football teams, whatever it is, Jesus wants to save whole big groups of people, and there's plenty of room in his kingdom. Jesus' goodness and his kingdom can break through and we can be a part of it. Friends, as I wrap up this morning, what does your life look like if you have the same burning desire as Zacchaeus? To spend time with Jesus. To seek him out in your life. To welcome him in to your life and to your household. Let's live with that desire. Let's realize Jesus' love and goodness that all would be in his kingdom. And let's jump at the chance to let Jesus be king of our houses and of our hearts and of our lives and of every part of our life. And I think we can live with the same kingdom urgency that Jesus shows us again and again. There's a lot of things that God would like to do in this place and out there. We're the ones called to do it with his help, with his empowering, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I leave you with that today. As we've talked about a lot, let's have our eyes open to what God is doing. Let's recognize that we are called to participate. Let's give our whole lives, all that we are, to the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that we can sit here before you, Lord, and acknowledge and experience your grace. And Lord, we confess to you that so often we make our lives about doing the right thing, saying the right thing, being the right thing. Lord, we confess that we often replace your gospel with a law. Lord, we confess, we acknowledge our sins this morning. But we recognize that your grace and through the blood of Jesus Christ we find salvation we find relationship restored to the one who created us we find a king who knows us we find a king who wants to be with us we find a king that whose love goes beyond even us to our family to our friends to our loved ones and so Lord today wherever we're at wherever our households are at, wherever we individually are at, wherever our lives are at this morning, we ask for your life to move and breathe and live in us. May we live with this kingdom urgency, God. May we live with open eyes. May we step into this incredible gift, this invitation that you've given us. 
to not just sit by and watch the kingdom come, but to be part of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.